Welcome to day two of the Locked On Podcast Network NBA Mock Draft brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you're looking to add new talent to your team, look no further than ZipRecruiter to give you all the best opportunities for hiring. You go to ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. They send your jobs to over 100 websites leading job boards, and they get you the best draft pick you can possibly imagine. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get quality candidates through their site within the first day. And now, ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. I'm David Locke. We're at pick number seven. Day one is in the books. No Anthony Davis trade was made on day number one. In fact, no trades went down, despite the fact that we're getting lots of rumors of deals, particularly in the 20s, teams trying to move in and out of the draft. Lots of different discussions taking place, people trying to deal with salary cap implications, dumping some talent, all sorts of major rumors. But the first six picks, no big surprises until number six. Zion Williamson went number one, Ja Morant went number two, R.J. Barrett went three to the Knicks, and Darius Garland went four to the Lakers. Neither were able to make an Anthony Davis deal. Jarrett Culver went five to Cleveland, and then Phoenix surprised everyone with Brandon Clark in the sixth pick. On the board today in the ZipRecruiter Locked On NBA mock draft we've got Chicago Atlanta Washington Atlanta again Minnesota and and the Charlotte Hornets are on the book with the 12th pick we'll see if any trades go down and it takes place I'm David Locke we've got the local experts of every single locked on NBA team in their draft rooms ready to make their picks to give you that breakdown we'll check in with Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated after each and every pick to get his analysis and Brandon Clean of Locked On Suns and our draft analyst is with us on the program as well so we move into day two of the Locked On mock draft Brandon the top talent is gone who are the guys that highlight this day? What jumps out to you? What do you expect to see here? And then what surprises might happen here in the, in the next six picks? Well, I think this is where we could start to see teams that want to want to jump on players that didn't get picked. I think as we talked about in the last show, uh, and we'll start to see it again here, it's going to be very situation dependent. A lot of these players are going to be eye of the beholder type of talent. If you need a position, a skill set, a, a culture setter, you're going to reach or you're going to target one guy that, that another team might not. And so we might start to see some trades or some reaches, you know, so to speak, that uh, we don't expect here. And I think that's where it could get fun uh, on draft night. I like DeAndre Hunter a little bit. Um, I feel like he he's shown a lot of versatility and done in Virginia's system. I think he might have been limited a little bit, and I think he's got the opportunities to possibly play both with the ball in his hands a little bit more than he did. He was pretty good in the the rare isolation times he got. He was great in transition that showed elite level uh, finishing skills. He's he's had great shooting numbers. Is there any one of this group of next set of players that jumps out to you? Uh, yeah, Hunter would be my guy as well. I just think you're, you're right. There's a perception that he's a little slow, a little methodical in the way that he handles himself, but we saw him be able to create buckets in a hurry in, in big games. He scored 27 points in that championship game, an elite defender, multiple position defender, just a guy that you can see succeeding in a huge way. And I think the success of Kawhi Leonard this year and into these NBA finals will definitely color the way that NBA teams think about DeAndre Hunter, because there are, uh, I don't know if it's fair to do that to any guy, but there are certainly similarities between the way that they play and the impact that they have on their team. 
All right, let's get to the seventh pick of the NBA draft. Chicago Bulls have been very active calling around the league. They're kind of loaded with players. I don't know if they're loaded with talent, but they're loaded with players. They've got Chris Dunn. Do they really believe in him as point guard? Is Zach Levine someone they're glad they paid? They acquired Otto Porter. They've got all the. They've got fabulous player in Laurie Markkinen. They've got Wendell Carter. Do they have enough pieces? Are they going to move things? They've been very active on the trade market. Let's go over to the Locked On Bulls draft room and find out what's going to happen with the seventh pick. What's up, NBA fans and Locked On Podcast Network subscribers? This is Jordan Malley and Matt Peck here from Locked On Bulls. We're on the clock at number seven. Matt, we saw a surprising pick. At number six, the Phoenix Suns taking Brandon Clark. Very, very surprised, very shocked, considering how we talked about Brandon Clark and where we thought he was going to go. So now that we're on the clock, what's our biggest need here? I think it's obvious. We've been talking about it. Bulls VP John Paxson admitted as much in our season-ending press conference. This team's biggest need is point guard. And we talked a lot about Kobe White, and he is still on the board here, and also DeAndre Hunter. You know, I'm having some questionable concerns about taking Kobe White and filling that filling the necessary need that the Bulls need right now, as opposed to maybe taking the best player available. How do you kind of feel about this between Kobe White, Cam Reddish, and also DeAndre Hunter on the board still? Yeah, it is, it is the tough decision that we were faced with, um, drafting for need as opposed to maybe drafting drafting somebody with a higher ceiling. Um, to me, it came down to the fact that as a as a avid Bulls fan, I am sick and tired of this team not having a decent point guard. And we all know how important that position is in today's NBA, even as people talk about it becoming a quote-unquote positionless, positionless league. There are certain elements to Kobe White's game that could certainly stand to improve, but I do like his, his scoring potential um, at that position. I'm hoping that he can expand his game as a facilitator. I'm hoping that his shooting numbers can improve from what we saw in his one season at UNC. To me, it is, uh, it's clear-cut. I, I, I would usually go best available, but because of the Bulls' need at point guard, that led me to, to feel like Kobe White. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, I think between both of those guys, and obviously our dream scenario in this case would have been Jarrett Culver falling all the way to seven or even Darius Garland. You and I think right. I think both of us had both of those guys higher on our draft boards um, than we did Kobe White or DeAndre Hunter or even Cam Reddish. And I think I'm falling yes. in line with you too in the fact that this team needs a point guard and at least a point guard that can shoot. You know, that's the thing that we've been complaining for the last, what, not even just two years, probably the last half decade about point guards that can't consistently shoot the three and also can't just consistently score. Um, we've had that essentially since Derrick Rose tore his ACL, this team has not had an answer at point. <laughs> yeah, guard. that's very true. And also with Chris Dunn, ago. he's been inconsistent as well. So I think I'm leaning more towards Kobe White because he's on the board. But our obvious dream scenario here would have been Jericho. Over falling from four to seven, which he did not. So I, I would have taken Culver were he there over uh, over Kobe White, but um, because Culver's gone, because Darius Garland is off the board, that uh, that led us to White. We did not get approached by anybody for trades either. Where has been some movement around the locked on NBA draft, but we did not get approached. We talked heavily on Locked On Bulls over the last couple of weeks about Lonzo Ball and a potential trade with the Lakers. Even talked quickly about the San Antonio Spurs being interested in Cam Reddish and maybe moving up in order to trade one of their point guards. But Matt, I felt like we didn't get really approached and there was no real opportunity for us to trade back, especially because we found out Kobe 
White was going to be available at seven. Whereas when we were talking about trading back or trading out of this draft pick, it was the idea that Darius Garland, John Morant, and Kobe White were all going to be off the board. Right. And when you think about the the most plausible ways that a trade could have happened, uh, specifically with the rumors about Lonzo Ball, it, it it wasn't realistic that the Lakers and Bulls would engage in just a two team, you know, uh, say, give us give us Lonzo Ball and we'll give you the number seven pick and maybe throw in Chris Dunn, which was the you know the one that our listeners kept asking us about. The more realistic scenario would have been the Bulls getting involved as a third team in a three team trade if the Lakers were going to swing for the fences and get Anthony Davis on draft night. And as the you know, the third party, the, the least important party in a trade like that, it, it's not really within our. Uh, you know, within our means to initiate that kind of trade because they're kind of an afterthought in, in a trade that uh, that large. It's true. So with the seventh pick in the 2019 Locked On Podcast NBA draft, the Chicago Bulls select Kobe White, point guard from North Carolina. You can follow all of our coverage of the NBA draft and the Chicago Bulls at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked On Bulls five days a week of Chicago Bulls and NBA coverage now back to David Locke we took Kobe White at number seven young 19 year old Kobe White six foot five almost six foot four and a half limited wingspan average 16 points a game at North Carolina Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated gives us the draft breakdown on the Chicago Bulls seventh pick Kobe White this would be a great fit for Chicago with Kobe White Uh, I think they would love to see him fall here um you know granted you know the bulls do have a need at point guard i don't think chris dunn uh is going to be the guy there long term so bringing in a guy like kobe who's young uh you know he hasn't been playing point guard as long i think there's some untapped upside with him um as a as a playmaker um but you know he can really shoot he's got good size i think there's definitely some safety just you know if you look around the league guys like that you know it's who can sort of play both guard spots who can defend either guard spot uh, who can knock down open shots. I mean, there's value right there. Uh, and I think, you know, he's young and it's going to take a little time. Uh, you know, we'll see if he ends up being more of a combo or really can run a team. I think it's probably going to be more in between. Um, but for, for what the Bulls have, uh, you know, I think getting a guy like Kobe who can play with Dunn or who could play with Zach Levine, uh, I think gives them options. So, you know, I like Kobe. I like his upside. Uh, and I, I think it's a good pick here. Brandon, that's a big statement about what they think of Chris Dunn, just like Jeremy said. Do you think White can play the one, or do you think he's the combo guard Jeremy was talking about? It feels to me like he's going to be a bench scorer at the next level, which is why I would consider it somewhat of a risk to go with him at seven. And we know the type of team that they've built. It's a lot of guys, Levine, Markinen, um, Wendell Carter is a, a pretty solid role player, but they have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of guys who are going to need the ball in their hands. White's another one. So it will be an experiment there, and how he changes the the future of Chris Dunn is going to be fascinating. They do have just a lot of players. I agree with that assessment. I don't know where it goes from here, but White's a guy that they seem to fall in love with. They seem to really think he can be their next playmaker. The Atlanta Hawks hit a grand slam with three picks last year. They, I guess it would be a triple, but they really actually hit a grand slam. Kevin Herter's terrific. Trey Young's good. Omari Spellman's going to be good as well. They've got both the eighth and the tenth picks of this draft. We've both told you where we think they should go, telling you that DeAndre Hunter is our favorite guy of the remaining players, the sophomore out of Virginia. Let's find out what's going on with Brad Rowland inside the Atlanta Hawks draft room. 
This is Brad Roll on the Locked On Hawks podcast with a number eight overall pick. And uh, coming into the draft, a lot of discussions, a lot of thought processes about maybe trading up, maybe trading down. The Hawks are in an interesting position because they have a sort of a bevy of picks to work from. But in the end, we elected to stay put at number eight overall. Coming into the draft, the biggest need, at least in my opinion, was to just take the best player available, basically the best non-point guard available. Trey Young is the only player on the roster that basically makes that position uh, undrafted for the Hawks in the in the lottery. He is a obviously a point guard only kind of player and uh, pairing him with, a, with another point guard doesn't make a whole lot of sense this far, this far up in the draft. But anything else is basically available. You know, on the wing, you can never have too many wings. In the front court, John Collins and his versatility makes that a uh, situation where you can kind of pick around him and not have to worry too much about blocking him or having a, a prospect be blocked by John Collins. So in the end, sort of a sort of a blank slate and a best player available kind of decision. Uh, the biggest decision that I'm making, honestly, in this uh, in this spot is to uh, whether to just stick with the board or maybe go off the board with a positional need. But in the, at the end of the day, um, there were a ton of trade possibilities. It's a situation where um, you know moving down, in my opinion, is better than moving up in this class beyond going to number one pick, which is uh, obviously not very available in this class. So uh, at the end of the day, we we, we elected to stay. Put. And the reason why we did that was because a player that we had mocked in the top five of our of our draft board was still available, and that player is DeAndre Hunter of Virginia, uh, a two way combo forward. Hunter, as I as I mentioned before, is a top five guy on our board, making this pick pretty easy in a lot of ways. He fills a number of needs for the Hawks at present. Atlanta has a, a lot of offense-first players, whether it be Young, Herter, Collins. All those guys are better offensively than they are defensively. Hunter is a true two-way prospect, a really good defensive player, as we saw in the NCAA tournament and well beyond that. He brings good size, good acumen, a good one-on-one defender. Also is a, a knockdown shooter from three-point range. Probably not an elite guy necessarily there, but the Hawks like to prioritize players that can really space the floor as, as a shooter and hunter. And he's someone who is big, big enough to play the four, quick enough to play the three. And uh, that that combo player value, combo forward value, is really important to this Hawks team and allowing them to unlock a, a number of lineups, including ones maybe with some small ball with John Collins at the five. So at the end of the day, a pretty easy decision for this Hawks team. And uh, we have another pick coming at number 10 overall, so stay tuned for that. But uh, DeAndre Hunter is the, is the eighth pick in the draft, and uh, we will move on from there. Well, there it is, DeAndre Hunter. We've both sold everyone on DeAndre Hunter. Brandon, let's find out what Jeremy Wu thinks of the sophomore from Virginia, six foot seven, 225 pounds with a 7'2 wingspan, out of uh, averaging 15 points, five rebounds, and two assists. Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu with the breakdown. Hunter is definitely a good fit in Atlanta here. Uh, I think if they keep this pick, I think it's a, a solid grab uh, just because he fits so well with what they have on the roster. Uh, I'm probably a little bit lower on him than some people just, you know, not, you know, I, I buy his defense. I don't know where he's going to be at offensively. I think, you know, because Virginia won the championship, we're probably overlooking a little bit um, some of his offensive inconsistencies over the course of the year. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, in, in Atlanta, it's great. You know, they have Trey Young, who's going to be a good playmaker and get the ball to guys uh, in good positions. You know, they have Herter next to him, who's a good passer. And I think, you know, with what they're building, having a guy like Hunter who can give them some defensive cover, who can, you know, match up with three, three or four positions, depending on, you know, what the lineups are, I think it's great. Uh, so, you know, with him, again, it's more about, you know, the safety of, you know, knowing you're hopefully going to get a rotation guy as opposed to, you know, taking a younger guy who's going to take time to develop. You know, Hunter can be a plug-and-play guy for where Atlanta is in their rebuild. Uh, so I like this fit. I like this fit here for them for sure. Atlanta is just getting frightening, scary, Brandon. They they they, they are the most enjoyable team to watch, probably it, one of the most enjoyable in the Eastern Conference. And now you add a Hunter that they are just putting the pieces together. 
I'm fascinated to see what Hunter means for them. He's a, a fit that I've thought a lot about um, looking at this draft, knowing the range that he's expected to fall and seeing Atlanta sitting there with John Collins, a guy who plays kind of the four and five, but isn't a traditional fit as a center. DeAndre Hunter, not someone who's going to play center either in, in most you know typical lineups, but I'm excited for that experimentation there. We're already seeing it in their backcourt with Herter and Young, and I think Hunter's just another piece to kind of see what the ceiling is on their small ball uh, unit. Can Hunter be the three, or you think he plays the four with Collins at a five? I think he's probably I think he's probably best as a four, but I think that's what's fun about him. You could see him playing all the way through three through five if you have the right pieces around him. So that's just going to add to their flexibility. Well, Atlanta will be back on the board in just a moment. The Washington Wizards are up before that. Then Minnesota and Brooklyn will continue. More coming your direction. It's the Locked On NBA Mock Draft brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on for free and get your next draft pick for your company. Coming up, we'll have that ninth pick of Washington, that tenth pick of Atlanta. And remember, you can get your local locked on NBA podcast for your favorite team. Just search on your podcast provider, locked on your favorite team's name, and you'll find your favorite NBA team's daily podcast. Eight picks are done in the Locked On NBA Mock Draft, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. The New Orleans Pelicans took Zion Williamson, one. John Morant, one, number two. New York took R.J. Barrett. The Lakers took Darius Garland with the fourth pick. Cleveland took the fifth pick and had Jarrett Culver on their mind. Phoenix surprised everyone with Brandon Clark. That all took place on the first edition of the Locked On NBA Mock Draft, so please go and listen to episode number one. Already today, Kobe White went seven. Atlanta took DeAndre Hunter with eight. Washington's on the clock right now. Coming up, Brandon, in the 14th pick is the Boston Celtics. That is really going to be telling because it seems to me that's the last chance the Pelicans have if they're going to try to move Anthony Davis somewhere here. Yeah, they're probably sitting in their own draft room right now Happy as can be with Zion Williamson, but potentially starting to sweat a little bit as these picks tick by and, and their star is, is not out yet. They have to be wondering when that deal will materialize and if they potentially lost some value by waiting or you know being forced to wait so long. In theory, if they're not looking for draft picks, they do it in early July. It comes together the same way for them uh, and everything. But if it's going to be a draft pick deal, it seems as though Boston is probably the only team left. Clippers are not in this draft. Uh, they do not have any picks. They, uh, so they are unlikely to be able to – anything they're piecing together, they could piece together no differently today than they would coming up. All right, the, the Washington Wizards are on the clock. Let's go to Connor Varney in the Washington Wizards draft room. Thank you, David, and welcome in to the Washington Wizards draft room. I'm Connor Varney here to take you through everything. And our first thing to look at is what this Washington Wizards team needs. And the answer is everything. The Wizards need everything, including a GM. Where they haven't had one, the hiring process has been going on for weeks, and there haven't really been many updates. And so that puts them in a precarious position, it seems, heading into the draft. But beyond a GM, they need talent at essentially every position on the floor. They need a complete overhaul, a full makeover. So all that said, what's the dream scenario for the Wizards? Well, I think the dream scenario would be for some sort of projectile to find all of the paperwork for John Wall's contract and to just blow it up so that there's no proof that that was ever signed. Or maybe a DeLorean to go back in time and undo 
that Supermax deal that Wall signed. Because while at the time that might have looked like a solid decision, now after the Achilles injury, it puts the Wizards in a really compromising spot. And we'll get into this more later, but the difficulty is that the Wizards are now a rebuilding team, it seems. And John Wall has this injury that greatly impacts players, and he's on a huge contract that ties up team cap space. But the Wizards aren't in a position to forfeit any assets to move John Wall, because they need those assets to rebuild their talent base. So the decision that needs to be made at this point is who are the potential candidates? And I think for me, there's two that are on the forefront of my mind that I think are potential Wizards picks here at number nine. And the number one option is uh, Siku Dumbaya from France. Now, he is a long, lanky combo forward, can play both positions, incredibly athletic. He's got great foot speed. He has great defensive upside, good size, good wingspan. And he's also just so athletic. The problem with players like that, and him specifically, is that he is so raw. And he's also pretty unproven. Now, he has so much potential, but he is still learning. There's so much for him to grow, so much for him to learn and do and get better at in his game. And so those are all a little bit worrisome. But his physical tools are very impressive. Now, the other big option here for Washington, I think, is Cam Reddish out of Duke. Now, Cam, of course, had a disappointing year with Duke where he didn't shoot the ball as well as people would have liked and at times wasn't as assertive as he needed to be. But the way I see it is wings are so valuable in the modern NBA, and that doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. And Cam has such great size on the wing where he's six foot eight, he's got a seven one wingspan, he's got shooting potential where he made 33% of his threes in college, his jumper looks great with some fine tuning and hopefully some work that jumper can get up a little bit to where at a reasonable baseline he can be a solid three and D player. And that will always have value. Now, of course, his assertiveness, his aggressiveness, his scoring ability, shot selection, all these things have been questioned. But the potential of a solid wing to have on your team for years to come is really tantalizing. Now, before we make our pick, let's discuss potential trades. Now, there were some discussions with a Wizards player, and unfortunately, that player was not John Wall. There's really no way to get this contract off of the Wizards' books. So the discussions were had around Bradley Beal, and obviously teams like the Lakers, Knicks would love to have them. And there were some options discussed with New York, bringing in R.J. Barrett or and Kevin Knox and a Dallas pick and things like that. But my sticking point, I really wanted to bring in Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett. Those are the two pieces. Give me those two and whatever pick, whatever other young guys you'll throw in. But those two are the foundational pieces for Bradley Beal. And unfortunately, there was really no getting a deal done because Mitchell Robinson is so valuable for New York. Should that be the case? I don't know. But He obviously has enough talent for me to make him a necessity in this deal. Hopefully he has a great year for New York next year, but that just wasn't able to get done. He has such a low salary that it helps their cap aspirations, and so that was the sticking point. Now we get into the actual decision. There was no trade made. The Wizards are making this pick, and at number nine, the Washington Wizards select Cam Reddish out of Duke. Cam was the choice. As I reiterated, wings are so valuable Cam has a solid three-point shot already. He's got the physical tools needed. He can be a solid defender, it seems, from everything that we know now. And I think he's a very versatile piece to put on the Wizards' wing that we know nothing about going forward. 
Right now, it's Beal, but he'll likely be traded at some point. So it's kind of Troy Brown and Cam Reddish there for the Wizards. But I think it's an exciting pick. He has the best upside for the position we're picking, and we're happy to have him on the Wizards. Back over to you, David. Cam Reddish, the pick by the Wizards. There's some people, including myself, numerically, who have some questions about Cam Reddish. Let's see what Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated has to say. Reddish is a guy who I think teams are pretty split on uh, coming into the draft. I think in this range, I think it's, you know, easy to say, let's try it. Um, You know, the concerns with him have just been from the consistency factor. Uh, You know, why is he not, you know, better in terms of performance, right? Because, you know, you look at him and he passes the eye test. He's a classic guy like that. You know, it has been going back to high school where he's got a good handle. um, You know, he, he can do things that guys can't do in terms of creating his shot. You know, he's big. Uh, he's got, you know, I think a lot going for him uh, just in terms of tools, right? And if we're talking about what we, what we want in the modern forward, you know, he might be able to play some four, he'll be able to play some three. Uh, and I think for Washington, you know, they took Troy Brown last year, but I think adding another forward like that isn't going to hurt. Uh, the upside is clearly there. Uh, the big thing is just, you know, how much is he going to work? Uh, you know, teams want to know, you know, how, uh, you know, why his season wasn't better at Duke and, you know, I know he's playing with a little injury, but I, I think overall, uh, you know, people are just hoping to see more from him. Uh, and so, you know, for Washington, I think it's a fit here. Uh, I can see why they would do it. Uh, and there's definitely some, some reward built in uh, if you get him going. Some reservations there, and the numbers are a bit worrisome on Cam Reddish, Brandon. 38th percentile in transition and 130 temps, so not great finishing there. His isolation work was very limited, didn't get many off. His spot-up shooting was in the 33rd percentile. His overall catch-and-shoot was in the 27th percentile this year. He did do a nice job with a limited amount of pick-and-roll ball handling. Some, as Jeremy said, we'll talk about it as well. There was so much other talent around there. Others look at this and say there should be concern on Cam Reddish. Where do you file, Brandon? This feels like a great pick for the Wizards specifically. I don't know if I would have loved Reddish in every. I definitely don't think I would have loved him in every situation. But I think with just the, the, the Wizards are in such a bad spot. They need talent anywhere they can get it. And I feel like Reddish is going to be in a position where, of course, Bradley Beal's there. We can assume for now they didn't trade him in our mock draft at least. Reddish will just be able to operate. He'll be able to do all the stuff he was not able to do at Duke. And I think my thoughts on him are are completely linked to Coach K. I think he put all of the guys, Zion included, in a bad position this year. And obviously Zion benefited most because I think talent won out in that circumstance. But R.J. Barrett and now Cam Reddish, I I think we're underrating both of those players as a result of the awkward circumstance they were put in as Blue Devils. Atlanta, Minnesota, and Brooklyn left today. What's left on the board? Anything intriguing here? What type of players? What you expect anything coming up here? I think the the next wild card for me is is Sekou Dumboya out of uh, he plays in France right now. He's a very young, the youngest player in this draft. To me, he's the guy that that could go anywhere from you know seven all the way through twenty. I, I think he's who I have my eye on coming up here. Somebody trade up for him? Do you think there's a, like, is he the type of player someone has a love for the way the Jazz did for Donovan Mitchell and go up for him? Or is he, is it too risky to do that? He had a fantastic pro day from what I could gather online, knocking down threes, showing his elite athleticism. As I said, extremely young, showed a lot as the season progressed overseas. I think he is the type of player that, one team could just really like and feel like in a weird draft, in a weak draft, that's their guy, and we might see a move there. 
All right, on the board right now are the Atlanta Hawks. We go back to their draft room. They took DeAndre Hunter just a few moments ago. We go back to Brad Roland and Locked on Hawks. This is Brad Roland of the Locked on Hawks podcast, back with the number 10 overall pick. If you missed this earlier, we went with DeAndre Hunter of Virginia at number 8 overall, and very shortly after that, we are back on the board with another opportunity to add some talent to this already intriguing roster. Um, the decision-making process at number uh, at number 10 was a lot more difficult, frankly. There wasn't a slam-dunk pick in the way that we still had with Hunter at number 8. Um, still, the entire draft board is basically available to the Hawks, aside from point guard. And uh, honestly, with the way that this draft fell, the best point guards were already off the board anyway. So it's a situation where the Hawks can basically take anybody um, because they have John Collins, and that unlocks them, and uh, can't have too many wings, can't really have uh, too much of anything at this point in time. So the board was wide open for the Hawks in terms of need. Um, with that said, the presence of Hunter also allows the Hawks to take something more of a swing. Hunter is one of the safer picks in the draft, and getting him at number eight overall, especially with his defensive profile, really allows them to go ahead and take a bigger swing if necessary at number 10 overall. And uh, with that in mind, it's a situation where we actually are, go- are going to go with Nasir Little of North Carolina at number 10 overall. Uh, I have to say, I did make some interesting decisions here. Uh, it was a situation where um, I, I thought about taking Jackson Hayes of Texas. I thought about taking Gogo Batazzi of uh, the, the Republic of Georgia. I also even weighed potential of Sekou Demboya, who's a high upside, um, sort of low floor probably prospect, who's very, very young, very, very talented. But in the, in the end, elected to go with Little as the best combination of safety and upside. Um, I'm prioritizing wings and forwards in this class more than anything. If you were to do a uh, in a vacuum big board, it's certainly possible you would put Jackson Hayes and or Gogo Batazzi ahead of Nazir Little, but with the way the uh, NBA game is moving at this point in time, you just simply cannot have too many quality two-way forwards and uh, Little projects to be that. His star sort of uh, fell a little bit during his freshman season in college at North Carolina, but honestly, his production was a little bit better than you might think by the way that he's been covered, and uh, Little is something of an upside prospect. He was a top five kind of high school prospect alongside Cam Reddish. Both guys were uh, criticized this year for the way they play, but um, Little was actually better at the college level than Reddish was, and I think just having Hunter already available unlock some potential. Uh, I know it might seem weird to take a couple of combo forwards in the top 10 in the same draft, but the Hawks don't really have a player at that spot right now and taking two guys that they do have varying skill sets. Hunter is more of a shooter, a little more of a slasher. Those guys both project as two-way options and that allows the Hawks to do a myriad of things in the future to run alongside Trey Young, Kevin Herter, uh, John Collins, and everybody else that we would add to the core of the team at this point in time. So Nazir Little is the pick. It wasn't an easy one in the way that number eight was. I have to be honest about that. But at the end of the day, he is the guy, and he will look good in Atlanta Hawks uniform. From now, we will go to the Minnesota Timberwolves at number 11 overall. Nazir Little out of North Carolina, the pick. They just keep stocking up on talents. They're going to have a lot of young contracts all coming together at one time. They'll worry about that. Uh, when it happens, Brand, was this a reach? It feels like probably the the ceiling of where he could go. I could see him going to Washington along the same lines as what we talked about with Reddish needing to just spread his wings. Little as somebody who had another just bad situation as a college player, so I could see betting on him. But ten does feel a little high. I mean, the Hawks, especially with they are not in a position to give their team over to a player like Little. They have a hierarchy there already, playmakers and shooters who are going to need floor time. I just don't know necessarily where Little gets that development, but he certainly, you know, he was a guy we were talking about as a top three pick heading into the season. So the talent level is there. It's just a matter of fit. And I don't know if this is the right one. 
Let's find out what Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated has to say with his analysis of Little, the youngster. He's only 19 years old. He came out of North Carolina, 6'6", with a 7'1 and a quarter wingspan and an 8'8 standing reach. So he's got all the measurables. Does he have the game, according to Jeremy? Uh, Nancy Little here, I think, you know, for Atlanta, after taking Hunter, uh, you know, I don't know if you necessarily want to pair two combo forwards like this, but you know, I think I think if you really like Little, I think this is a fine pick here. Uh, you know, clearly did not have the year people expected in that North Carolina, you know, never really settled into the starting lineup. Uh, you know, he's coming off the bench, uh, and I think, you know, his feel for the game came into question, rightfully so, over the course of the year. Um, but, you know, the tools are clearly there. You know, he's big and strong and athletic, and, you know, if you're going to develop a wing, you know, take someone who has these tools, you know, you can see him getting a little bit more skilled, you know, shooting the ball a little bit better from outside. You can see him becoming a guy who sort of, you know, provides some value on the rookie contract where you're slotting him in, you know, and he'll defend and he'll do these things. Um, I think it's a little bit scary just because you know, offensively he does have some tunnel vision. Uh, you know, he was a late bloomer in high school, kind of like came onto the radar and then didn't really get as nitpicked. And then in college now everyone's like, you know, what do we make of this? Right. Uh, but the upside is there with him, you know, to be a solid rotation player. Um, and I think there's, there's reason to be optimistic uh, in that situation. So, you know, I can see why Atlanta would do it. And again, like we said, uh, you know, having Trey Young is really helpful for guys like Little who aren't so great at creating their own shot. Uh, as long as they can, you know, get open, he'll find them and take advantage of how athletic they are. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a fine pick here for a number 10. Numbers on Little were great in transition, but everything else was pretty ugly. Limited pick and roll time, 18th percentile. Spot up shooting, 22nd percentile. Catch and shoot, 20th percentile. You are certainly projecting with Little and Atlanta. Two more picks to go today. Today's show brought to you in part by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter, letting you have your find your draft picks for your company. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on for free to find out what ZipRecruiter can do for you with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find out people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. At ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. Back more NBA draft podcast mock draft picks number 11 and 12. And we're hearing of heavy trade rumors around that 12th pick in just a moment as we continue on Locked On Podcast Network on the Locked On NBA mock draft. The 11th pick is on the board with Minnesota. We're hearing a lot of murmur that maybe Charlotte is looking to trade that 12th pick. We'll see what's going to happen there. But first, let's go into Minnesota's draft room and find out with Colton Molesky what's taking place with the Timberwolves. I have a few things before I'd like to formally announce the Timberwolves 2019 selection at 11th overall in the NBA draft. First of all, biggest need. The Timberwolves have a couple of those. Clearly a team that didn't make the playoffs is going to have some flaws, but the biggest need they have is at guard. You see them losing a fringe all-star contender before his injury in Derrick Rose to free agency. Jeff Teague has had hampering injuries, especially over the last season. He really struggled to stay healthy. And then Tyus Jones, a young guard that has a lot of upside, but as far as offense and the ability to create his own scoring, not much of that from Tyus Jones over his career. So what the Timberwolves need is a guard that is a confident scorer, not afraid to take a lot of shots, not afraid to create his own offense, and not afraid to take over possessions. They need a guard that can score more or less. 
And so if you're looking at this draft, there's a few guards that can do that, but will one fall in the Timberwolves' lap? Hopefully not sure, but that's the biggest need they have. The dream scenario, obviously, for them is somebody like Kobe White or a Darius Garland. Darius Garland would be the best version of this, but even though he only played about four and a half games in his collegiate career at Vanderbilt, he still is starting to really climb draft boards. And you start to see him in that uh, that kind of four to six range discussion for draft picks. And so that's probably not happening. Unfortunately, a bunch of teams weren't scared off by his injury. And he is not going to drop anywhere even close to the Timberwolves. Another guy that would have been perfect for the Timberwolves is Kobe White out of UNC. A really fast guard who is not afraid to pull up from range and take shots really quick, especially in transition. Would have been nice to see him play with Towns and Akogi and this young core that the Timberwolves are developing. But again, he is another guy who through March Madness, really earlier than even Garland in during the March Madness run that UNC had, started to climb draft boards. You see him in more of the, the seven to nine range, still out of the Timberwolves out of the Timberwolves reach and really if you're looking at teams that uh, that are in that range the Timberwolves probably aren't going to be able to even trade up and try and get a guy like Kobe White they probably won't even be able to finagle picks away from them so the dream scenarios are pretty far out there for the Timberwolves but nevertheless there are still guys in this draft that they can look at and they can take and that's where the decision comes in because if you're looking at 11 where the Timberwolves are you've got guys like Kevin Porter Jr out of USC he is a kind of that he's a shooting guard but he can kind of fit that combo guard mold you can see him turning into a combo guard if you're projecting out for the next three to four years but then you also have guys like a PJ Washington talked about this on the Lockdown Wolves show he is a guy who could be really intriguing next to Towns or a guy who could be really intriguing next to even a Kogi Wiggins, Keita based job, somebody who is going to be a really flexible kind of 4-3 bigger dude who can play long defensively but is comfortable. He's he's shown his comfort level outside stretching the floor and he plays really well off ball off of primary ball handers. He could play off of point guards. He could play off of a guy like Towns handling the ball. He's really good in space when somebody else is facilitating offense. So he could play well next to those guys. You have Gonzaga's Hachimura, who the Timberwolves have shown a lot of interest in. He's more of a traditional four. Somebody maybe they're looking at to replace a guy like Taj Gibson and maybe take minutes from a guy like Gorgie. And while maybe he's not as exciting for Timberwolves fans who want this offense to grow and want this offense to get more fast pace and have more electricity in it, he is a safe pick, somebody who you know you can put in the certain spots in the half court and he's going to produce no matter what and he's going to get you boards and he's going to get you shots around the basket, clean up the glass, maybe help Towns play a little further out from the basket more consistently. So those are the three choices right now for the Timberwolves. The way I see it is somebody who could be really good, a combo guard that's kind of a question mark but fits a need, and a safe pick. And if you're looking at trade possibilities, I mean, the Timberwolves would have to be getting out of a big contract like Gorgie's, like Wiggins. They can't just trade away because their cap is so tight this year that really this pick is probably going to be the best prospect you're bringing in. You're not going to get crazy good guys through free agency outside of a 
a really blockbuster trade for the Timberwolves because the cap situation is so tight. So unless you find a team that's willing to take out Wiggins' contract and they're willing to grab Wiggins' contract and the Timberwolves would also have to give up probably this pick, some other future picks, maybe even a, a young guy like Tyus Jones, you're looking at you're looking at giving up a lot to, to fix a problem that you made for yourself. Not sure. I'd have to see the trade. Not sure if that's worth it, though. There's not a ton of trades where that scenario would be so worth it to create another bad spot for yourself because of a bad situation you put yourself in. That's two mistakes for the price of one. And you never really like to see an NBA team make a mistake to try and fix a mistake. So going to try and stay away from tra- trade possibilities here. Going to just make this pick and... Who the Timberwolves are picking is Kevin Porter Jr. out of USC. Again, they need the guard help. They need the guard depth. And here's the thing about taking Kevin Porter Jr. No matter what you think of maybe where he can project out as a defensive player, if you look at some of his offensive stats, 47% from the field, 41% from three. I know these uh, that his point totals at 9.5 points per game aren't crazy, but if you look at his efficiency, he's already – a pretty solid scorer. There's that big, that big red mark, that stain, that free throw number at 52%, which is concerning. And there are some things you have to work on. Again, the the really sure things, as far as really sure things in the lottery, it's pretty shallow. And so you're gonna have to any pick that the Timberwolves are gonna make, you're gonna have to knock off some rust. You're gonna have to to mold to polish some, these draft picks. And so there's gonna be flaws. But Kevin Porter Jr. can score. He is a good shooter. He knows his spots on the court. He knows where to get to have a confident shot. And you can work on the free throw shooting stuff. You can work on some of the defensive stuff. You can even work on maybe him as a distributor. He wasn't really, didn't do too much point guard stuff, wasn't really a playmaker for teammates. He can create his own shot and he can play off of somebody else's, uh, somebody else's creation in the offense. But he needs to work on it. He only averaged 1.4 assists per game. He needs to work on his playmaking for teammates. He has some defensive stuff he needs to work out. He can become a better defender. He has he has the IQ. He has the, the speed, the raw physical gifts. He can become a better defender. You can work on molding him. And he is a good shooter right now. He is a good scorer right now. And so give him more opportunity, I think that would grow. I think that if you're putting him in a system that helped turn Okogi into a viable starter from some rough and rusty beginnings in the beginning of his rookie season, and I think if you're giving Kevin Porter Jr. that same kind of development and that same kind of attention and those same kind of opportunities both to fail and succeed in actual NBA games with those actual reps, I think that he turns into a really nice prospect that ends up paying dividends for the Timberwolves. So Kevin Porter Jr. is who the Timberwolves select at number 11 in the 2019 NBA Draft. Kevin Porter Jr., the pick there. A lot tumultuous year for Kevin Porter Jr. and still a lot circulating around him. Let's find out what Jeremy Wu has to say about the USC product. Kevin Porter is one of the more interesting guys uh, in this draft just from a talent perspective, I, I think. You know, by now, you know, everyone knows, you know, how, how good he could be, uh, right? I mean, he's explosive. Uh, he's got a great handle. Uh, he can really create his own shot. Uh, you know, the shooting itself was up and down this year. The performance was up and down. And a lot of the you know, questions stem from off-court stuff with him, whether it's just, you know, how, how mature is he? Is he ready to be a pro? Uh, you know, teams are concerned about, you know, just all the background information they have on him. 
um, just just in terms of you know how do we get him on the right track to maximize you know the ability that he clearly has right. Uh, so for Minnesota here, I think it's a risk at eleven. Uh, if you look at some of the guys who are on the board, uh, right, and I don't know if they necessarily need uh, you know another backcourt scorer, but uh, you know I think it's totally justifiable if you feel confident that you can you know put him in an environment to succeed and uh, sort of insulate him a little bit um, because you know he could be a really really good. Uh, whether it's just a guy coming off the bench to get you buckets or if he ends up being a starting caliber uh, two guard, I mean, it's good value here. So um, definitely some risk built in, you know, it's possible he doesn't come close to that. Possibly he could be out of the league uh, a few years, uh, but uh, definitely a guy who is intriguing. And, you know, if you're going to talk about taking a risk in this range, I think it's a fair argument. Brandon, scoring upside, they talk about. Scoring upside, and yet nine points a game in college. How do you have scoring upside if you're scoring nine points a game? Well, I think uh, you have scoring upside when your coach lets you on the court, right? That's the the question mark looming over Kevin Porter. Amazing to start the year. Very inconsistent. Very disengaged at the end of the season. You know, getting comparisons to James Harden with the way he played his pretty step back jumper early on and his season really fell apart. So one of the guys that I have the absolute most questions about, you know, attitude wise on the court, off the court, everything, the number I would point to uh, when you talk about scoring upside, just 52% on 46 free throw attempts as a freshman at Southern California. That scares me. Is he a guy you'd take off your draft board or is his talent so good it's worth the risk? Well, I'll tell you, when I was at the Combine in Chicago, he did not uh, answer those questions in his media availability. Got a lot of questions about his awkward um, season. Not a lot of answers given by the team. I think he had an opportunity to speak for himself. Did not do so, really. Kind of just ignored it, said he's growing as a player and person. Gave all the answers to kind of disengage from that controversy. But uh, I don't know if I would take him off, but he would certainly not be Uh, At 12 or at 11 here, I think Minnesota is in a unique position, though, to kind of shoot for the shoot for the the sky. And and maybe they see him as a replacement for Andrew Wiggins to kind of reset their wing. All right. The uh, Kevin Porter was suspended midseason by uh, at USC for off the court issues. Never really clarified what it was, but that was all part of the tumultuous uh, existence that they had. We have our first trade of the day coming across, it looks like. That's right. We have our first trade of the day, and all of our trades are brought to you by Hims. So in case you get traded and need to step up your performance, one in four guys suffer from ED, but it can be treated. Over 25% of new ED cases are guys under the age of 40. The first month is just $5. We'll get you started for just 5 bucks while supplies last and subject to doctor approval. Restrictions apply. See website for more details. For could cost hundreds if you want doctors. Go to hymns.com slash locked5. That's for hymns.com slash locked5. For hymns.com slash locked5. And the trade coming across is the Brooklyn Nets have traded up to the 12th pick for the Char- with the Charlotte Hornets exchange for the 17th and the 27th pick. Never feels to me like it works to trade down in that two-for-one process, Brandon. What's your thought of what Brooklyn and Charlotte have just done here? It's surprising to me to see Brooklyn do it. I think we assumed when their trade came down that um, you know their 
probably trying to clear cap space. They're trying to be players in free agency. We've heard Kyrie Irving linked to them. We've heard, you know, even Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler. They have these high hopes. So maybe the consolidation to get up to 12 is what they were thinking. Let's bring one rookie in instead of overloading this this suddenly veteran team, a playoff team with young guys. But uh, I agree that the history of teams making these trades is shoddy, and it typically favors the ones who trade back. In the real world, a trade was made with Torian Prince going to Brooklyn and them trading our draft. Mock draft was done before that, so that is why Brooklyn was able to acquire this pick. Let's go into the Brooklyn Nets war room and find out why they traded up for 12 and who they plan to take. We are your hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh Bass here. Uh, joining me, my man Marcus Barahall. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Nets here a bit earlier than expected because we made a trade, Marcus. There was some internal debate amongst us, uh, but why don't you tell us the trade that ultimately I kind of uh, forced through? Sure, you uh, you Rob Polinkid my my Magic Johnson a little bit on this one. You kind of you, you you pulled a, a power move. I respect it. Uh, we traded the 17th and 27th picks to Charlotte for the 12th pick. Uh, we moved up in the draft. Uh, Josh, I know this was something that you kind of wanted to do. I was a little more hesitant, but at the same time, I don't think we gave up a ton, so uh, I don't hate the move uh, in that sense. Yeah, no, listen, I really wanted to make a trade, and, and you were uh, you were in <laughs> you were in uh, D.C. when I was really in negotiations with a lot of different teams and weren't checking your email frequently, so I was kind of able to uh, just go behind your back, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, no, I was, was talking to a lot of different teams. We were offering uh, the 17th pick and then either the 27th pick or Janan Musa, whatever uh, asset the team we were trading with preferred. And eventually we got a taker in the Charlotte Hornets, allowing us to move up to 12. Uh, Marcus, we'll talk a little bit about the biggest need you see for the Nets, whether we were picking at 12, 17, just kind of coming into this draft. What did you want us to address? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the biggest need for the team as a whole is that 3-4 position and kind of a versatile wing who can defend either of those spots and also can score and ideally can shoot and kind of get his own shot like we've talked about free agency wise a guy like Tobias Harris would be a great fit Uh, so with the draft coming up before free agency obviously it's a way to kind of guarantee that a guy is coming to you there's been lots of rumors about guys like Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler coming to Brooklyn but a guy that you take in the draft is someone that you know that you'll have for at least a few years assuming that they're good yeah no absolutely and I think for the Nets I'm pretty sure we both agree on this is that just given the excellent player development culture they have they should go for the guy in in, a, in kind of a reasonable sense with the best physical tools um so someone kind of in in a tier with that is really elite physical tools and someone who might be more of a project but you hope you can develop him given the track record that kenny atkinson and co have as opposed to a guy where you know he's going to be a solid eighth or ninth man but maybe not with the potential to be much more than that i think the nets really need to take a big swing here just to try to bet on their play or development culture and supplement whoever they might get in free agency, or it could be no one at all. And they're left with a similar roster to last year, which isn't a bad thing, but at the same time, you'd need more star talent to uh, support guys like D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Just with those two guys, with guys like Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, even Jared Allen to a certain, to a certain extent, uh, You've seen the Nets kind of take guys that were uh, questioned either because of injury or because of uh, lack of fit in previous spots in Dinwiddie's case, and uh, they've kind of molded those guys into real rotation players, guys that 
played big minutes in the playoffs, and obviously the Nets didn't win that series against Philadelphia, but they competed hard, and they were uh, certainly very feisty. And so I think if you get a guy with the raw talent and who maybe has like a higher ceiling, I think I definitely would trust Brooklyn to push that guy over the top. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we were deciding between a couple different guys. P.J. Washington was in the mix. Jackson Hayes from Texas. Bol Bol as well, someone who has a huge upside. But we went with the Frenchman, Sekou Dambuya, the 6'9 forward. Uh, he played for Limoges this past year. Uh, very talented player. He's goes about 6'9, 230 pounds, great frame, really good athleticism. Feel for the game, needs some work, but has decent makings of, a, of an okay three-point shot. Definitely something the Nets need out of a big guy. And I'm super excited about the Seku era. Marcus, are you with me? Uh, I am. And uh, the sports director for Le Mans, Vincent Laureate, uh, is probably with this pick also. He compared Domboya to a guy named LeBron James. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. That's kind of a high... High bar for Seku, but uh, if he's anywhere close, this is a great pick by us. Yeah, he's like, so um, Gershon Yabusele was the French Draymond, and Seku Dambuya is the French LeBron, but uh, I'm very high on the pick. 6.7 points and three rebounds this year in the French League. Obviously, his stats um, were kind of diminished, but extremely athletic, physical player. Has the kind of potential to be an Al Farouk Aminu type. I've seen him compared to OG Ananobi, uh, Trevor Booker, all guys that we love, and Trevor Booker, former guest on this podcast. So we are thrilled with Seku. I think we made the right decision to trade up. And now, David, back to you. Well, the Frenchman was your guy you highlighted here, Brandon. What is it you like about him? I just think he's he's a pure wild card, but you watch him play an incredible athlete. Uh, people have noticed already the similarities physically and athletically to Pascal Siakam, a guy who obviously did well for himself and I think is going to earn some attention. Just anyone who plays and looks like him is going to probably get an extra set of eyes at this point. But Dumboya, the, the youth is the thing I keep coming back to. Any Anyone who can play as electrically as he does and shoot the ball and do some skill Skill work as well at just 18. He just turned 18, I think, on Christmas Day. Uh, that fascinates me. I got to give Kevin O'Connor credit from the ringer. He had the best line at all. He called him a tranquilized Pascal Siakam. Let's see what Jeremy Wu has to say about the 18-year-old, six foot nine, 230-pound Frenchman with a 6'11 wingspan. I like this, uh, this move for the Nets, I think, packaging the picks to come up, uh, you know, to take a chance on a guy like this is, is worthwhile. Uh, the Nets are comfortable with international guys. And, uh, you know, Seku is a guy who I think a lot of teams are intrigued by just with his physical tools, uh, in the way he's gotten better as a shooter. Uh, you know, there's just not a lot of guys with his body type who can sort of play both forward spots legitimately. Uh, and he's versatile on defense too. You know, they use him to guard point guard sometimes. You know, he can sort of step out and be one of those types of guys who, uh, you can cover for weaknesses and sort of let you play different lineups. Uh, granted, he, he's still pretty far off. Uh, you know, it might take him a year or two to really get acclimated and be able to keep up in, in the NBA. And he hasn't played a ton of high-level basketball, right? But uh, I, I think you can look at him and you can see the outline of a forward who could be impactful, you know, a guy who could be a starting caliber uh, player for you. And I think in this draft particularly, and if you're in this part of the lottery, I think it's a, I think it's a good, uh, good bet. To, to place uh so yeah, i think we'll probably see him go in this range and i think that you know there'll be some some hope that he pans out 
So day two is filled out. Mock draft is done. We've got tomorrow Miami, Boston. Do they make the use that pick in a trade for Anthony Davis? Detroit, Orlando, and now Charlotte is on the board at 17 with Indiana taking 18. Brandon, before we go to Josh Lloyd for the fantasy breakdown of these players, did anything really anything jump out to you and surprise you of what's happened in our mock draft through 12 picks? Well, I think the Kevin, well, aside from ourselves over in the Phoenix war room going with Brandon Clark at six, I think 11, Kevin Porter Jr. to Minnesota doesn't seem to me to address an obvious need. I expected them to get another big man across from Carl Towns. They didn't do so. They went for more of a jackpot pick there. I'm fast. I would be fascinated to see how that played out uh, just on the court, but that would be the guy. I think he will be much lower come draft night with so many questions surrounding that suspension and how he kind of petered off toward the end of the year. Here now we get the fantasy breakdown from Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball on picks 7 through 12 and what their impact of the upcoming fantasy season will be. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd here from Locked On NBA and Locked On Fantasy Basketball, looking at some of the fantasy potential impact of our Locked On NBA mock draft and these rookies. We're starting here with pick seven, Chicago, uh, going with Kobe White, a, uh, a point guard out of North Carolina. White um, has a, an interesting shot at a role here in Chicago with Chris Dunn. It appears that not really a part of this team's future. They're not viewing him as a starting point guard moving forward. White is a guy who, very different to a lot of players coming out of this draft, actually showed uh, an ability to be a shooter, especially from the free throw line with so many other guys struggling there. Now, his overall field goal percentage wasn't great, but he can hit the three. The assist rate is decent enough. I think I don't think he's necessarily going to step in and be a starter in the Bulls situation straight away, but they'd be absolutely wrapped, I reckon, to grab him at this spot. And then in uh, second year, maybe third year, he can step in and have multiple, I would guess, top 70 type seasons. I actually think that there's a better chance uh, of him providing good value than, say, a Darius Garland that win it for. That's up in the air. But I think there is some value there in, Co- in Kobe White. I think it's a real steal pick. I really like him from a dynasty point of view. I'd have him a lot higher than pick seven in that sort of a situation. So I think that's a really strong situation there for Kobe, uh, Kobe White to go to the Bulls. At number eight, the Atlanta Hawks went with DeAndre Hunter. Uh, a 6'8 wing who can uh, shoot the three a little bit, pl- provide some uh, really strong defense as well. It, fantasy-wise, he doesn't translate all that well. A, a lower usage guy, you're not going to get much in terms of defensive stats, even though he is a strong defender or defensive uh, or assists. doesn't sh- He shoots the three well, doesn't shoot it enough. A low-volume guy, it's not a great combination for, for fantasy overall. And while this does sort of fit what the Hawks need, and it's, it's a really strong pick, I'm not sure that it's a it's a great situation for a, a fantasy point of view to see DeAndre Hunter going there, and I'd slide him down past eight in a in a dynasty ranking, and definitely for next season, the Hawks have guys in that in those positions like John Collins, Octorian Prince, the three four type of the players that Hunter would likely be uh, likely be sliding in at six eight, maybe that three DeAndre Bembry playing there as well. So Hunter would be in a relatively limited role, and he's not one of those real permanent monsters in terms of stat accumulation. The next pick in this mock draft was number nine with Cam Reddish. We know that Reddish's numbers were pretty poor at Duke, couldn't shoot at all, just horrible field goal percentage numbers, low assist rate. The thing that I guess saves him a little is the steal rate. Maybe it was a weird situation, but a lot of people talking about Reddish, oh yeah, look how hard it was for him with Barrett and Zion there, under the impression that when he goes to an NBA team, there won't be players that are better than that that he has to play with and fit in. 
in going to Washington with Bradley Beal, uh, with John Wall when he comes back, with guys who are you know, better players than him, whether Bobby Portis returns, he's going to be taking as many shots as is humanly possible for him. That's going to be a little bit harder in this sort of a situation for Reddish to get those numbers. I'm not massively high on him, but he is a good upside type of a player. I think he's got a higher value than, say, DeAndre Hunter that just went above him. But in that Washington ecosystem, he's probably going to get lost a little bit early on. And if he doesn't show that any ability to shoot, I just don't see where he's fitting in. Although, as I said, the steal rate is intriguing for what Reddish was able to do. That's at least adding something to his game, and he can provide some defense. The shots just have to go in, but he's got good length. He's still really young. It's a strong enough pick at that spot, and there is a little bit of fantasy upside there for Cam Reddish. At number 10, the Hawks with their second pick in this lottery. They go with Nazir Little out of North Carolina, 19 years of age, six foot six. Um, you know, can provide a little bit on the uh, defensive. And I think it, it might be a little bit early for Little. There are other guys that I would have wanted to take here at this spot personally. Not uh, not massively keen on uh, on this selection from, from him, but he can be a rebounder. The defensive stats are okay. Decent enough efficiency, good free throw shooter. There's some value there. An okay usage player. Needs to hit more threes though. Needs to attempt more. Needs to hit more. You're not going to get really anything from him in a passing perspective. But there is some value. He's unlikely to be any sort of standard league contributor in his rookie season. But it's a solid enough pick at that spot uh, where the Hawks took him. Number 11, you've got Kevin Porter Jr. going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Porter, uh, we didn't get a huge amount out of him this season uh, in, uh, at, uh, at USC. Um, because of the of the issues there, six six as a guy that can be a little bit of a ball handler as well for Kevin Porter. So there is something something to him. It's just there is obviously concerns in how he's going to uh, has going to fit in on this team. We need more from him in his assist rate. Really poor free throw shooter in his time at USC. Um, again, it's it's like Cam Reddish where the the translation numbers don't look great, but I think taking a flyer on him for Minnesota where. They've got one more year of Jeff Teague there. Tyus Jones might be gone. Who knows what Andrew Wiggins' future. You know, Porter there with the size to, to guard up at the at the two as well as guard ones and handle the ball a little bit. There's off-court concerns, which, which do need to be uh, dealt with for him. But the translation numbers for him were not very strong at all. And then the last pick we're looking at in this little section here of this mock draft was the uh, Brooklyn Nets. They made a trade to come up into pick 12 with the Hornets, trading 17 and 27 to get into pick 12, where they took Seku Dumboya, a, the first European player. Off the ball, a guy that showed a ton of potential um, you know, before last season. Probably got a little bit lost this year in some of what he was doing with this uh, or in his uh, season over in Europe. But a good free throw shooter, really solid enough steal and block number translations, uh, athletic enough, can hit the three a bit. I think there's quite a bit of upside there for him. And for me, he's a guy that I like more than Porter, like more than Little, like more than Hunter as an upside player for fantasy. Heading to Brooklyn, though, we know they love their Europeans. Jana Musa, Rodion's Kuroks last season, a good value. But where does he fit in the rotation? There's so many guys in those positions like Kuroks, like Musa, uh, like Damari Carroll, if he's still around, Joe Harris in that role, Alan Crabb. Like, if all these guys are back, is really going to find very limited time, playing a lot of his time, I'd imagine, with Long Island. But there is significant upside with him as a fantasy prospect, ability to contribute in those low-volume categories, steals, uh, blocks, and threes, score a little bit as well, uh, and can turn into a solid enough rebound. I think that's a really, really strong pick for Brooklyn there at number 12. 
Two days in the book. Thank you very much. Today's Locked On Mock Draft brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Locked On for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Locked On to find out what ZipRecruiter can do for you in your new draft picks for your company. Tomorrow, we've got picks 13 through 18 coming on the Locked On NBA Mock Draft.